0: Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm and art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip-hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you want to learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Welcome back to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Today, we are bringing back David Monroe. If you wanna hear his story, you gotta listen to last week's episode because this week is all about actionable steps and we're really gonna dive into how to identify emerging markets. Now, we're not gonna give you all the secrets because I feel like there's so much to learn and cover in just one episode, but we're just going to go through some, just some actionable steps and what we can look for um, if we're trying to be uh, both active and passive in, in looking at a market that we want to potentially invest in. So welcome back, David. Thank you. Glad to be here, Taylor. It was, fun <laughs> it was fun last week. It was fun last week. It felt like it was a couple minutes ago. <laughs> it did, did <laughs> But you know, anyways, so... You know, I made the decision, and I and I want to say, you know what, I want I want to invest, I want to invest in in multifamily. And now the the question, and and I already I already got past the whole journey of you know, I have to invest in my backyard first because I think that there are other ways. In, In California, it is hard to invest in your backyard first because of the barriers to entry. Now I want to invest out of state, but there are so many different places to start, and I know location matters. So, where would you start? What is the what is the first thing that you would look at in, in trying to identify um, a market? So, back up just a second. Okay. Start in your backyard. Ah, interesting. So that 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 is what you
1: definitely want to do initially, because if you're going to screw up, you don't want to screw up where you have no control. So, start small in your backyard. I know it's glamorous, and they say investing in a hundred unit is actually easier than investing in a duplex. Yes. And no, I can screw up on a duplex and not hurt anybody. I can screw up on a hundred unit and hurt multiple people, get sued and possibly go to jail.
0: Hmm, So yeah, that's great. (laughs) Screw up
1: often screw up early so that you don't do it when you get to the bigger properties. That that's the first thing I want to say. Okay. When you get to the point point, you decide you want to go out and expand, you need to be able to identify what the market looks like currently and what it's going to look like in the future to make sure that what you're purchasing is going to be sustainable. What I'm going to tell you not to do is don't listen to, and you've heard me say this last week, the gurus. And yes, I'm <laughs> my two fingers are up. I know you can't see them. Each one doing the quote little, unquote,
0: quote, quote unquote. unquote, do gurus.
1: Okay, I'm not a fan of gurus and I'm gurus. not one. So please don't ever consider me to be one. <laughs> I don't offend well, but that may be one that would offend me.
0: Don't worry. I I don't think you're a guru at all. You're good. Thank you.
1: Appreciate that. So (laughs) do not listen to what they tell you is an emerging market because they have no idea. They read it in an article or saw it in the IRR viewpoint or something like that. They they have no idea what an emerging market is. Even David Lindahl, who wrote the book Emerging Real Estate Markets, (laughs) who's a great investor. I mean, he's he's built uh, quite an empire for himself but I have the book and I think it was chapter two or chapter three talked about how to identify a market. It wasn't really how you properly identify a market. There were some good nuggets in it. And the rest of the book was a repeat of multifamily millions. So changed the title, (laughs) added a chapter and rewrote multifamily millions. It's basically what he did because nobody understands how to properly look at a market, but here's the key factor. And then I'll get into identifying emerging markets. Your market analysis becomes the input for your financial analysis. So if you're grabbing a T12 and a rent roll, and you're doing a five-year projection on that T12 and rent roll, and you are not looking at a market analysis, you, it's a guess. Good luck. I mean, even five years into the future, I can't predict five years into the future. Mm -hmm. And and what'll happen is a lot of these, and and this is another one of those places those gurus go, is they'll go to the AHS, which is the American Housing Survey, which is done by the US Census. The American Housing Survey will give five-year projections on population, households, household growth, different things, and and a gross growth percentage based on that. There is no math used there, They take past performance and predict future performance. It's a guess. It is a swag all day long. Hmm. Never, ever, 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 ever use that data for future. You must do the math. The math is very difficult to do. But once you understand it, it's very easy to do because it's just addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. It's simple math. There's no algebra involved. Well, maybe a little bit when you do location quotient, but we're not going to go into that. So get into a market, identify an opportunity, and because somebody's going to bring you that opportunity, or maybe you've decided, I'm going to go find a market first. That could take a while. I don't want to tell you to go find emerging markets by doing the calculations because a year later, you might be through half the markets. Rather find opportunities and in that market, if you're not familiar with it, determine whether that market is emerging, whether it's stagnant, or whether it's declining. That is the easy part. Believe it or not, that is the easy part. So, one of the fastest growing markets right now in the country is Huntsville, Alabama, because there is a plant that's being constructed from Mazda Toyota, their first plant as a company together in the country and they're building it in Huntsville, Alabama. It's three quarters of the way completed, and they're bringing 4,000 jobs. They just started hiring their largest cycle of 3,000 jobs four months ago. So I can take that data, and I can actually calculate what my future population is going to be based on those jobs coming in. And it's not as simple as, well, if there's 3,000 jobs, just take family household size and divide it by a certain number and that's what you get. No, that's not how you do it, okay? Hmm. There is a process called economic base analysis. And that economic base analysis is a two-part process. Now, here's where I'm going to lose three quarters of your audience, maybe all of them. Let's let's go for it. You might even Bear lose with me, with me but, but we're going to go for it. Bear with me for a second. <laughs> economic base analysis is a two-part process. The first part is current economic base. You have to determine- what your current economic base is in your market before you can ever determine future. And we're looking for two key indicators. We're looking for an economic base multiplier and we're looking for a population employment ratio. So part one or step one is identifying which sectors in your market are basic. Now, what the heck does that mean? Well, basic is export sector jobs. So you'll have, you know, there's somewhere around 18 or 20 sectors in a market. Some will have less, some will have a couple more. The US, it's, it's, and I, I, one of these days I ought to actually count them so I can stop saying somewhere around. (laughs) You think by now I teach the doggone course, you think I'd know, (laughs) but I don't. I don't ever sit and count what they are because every market may not have the same amount of sectors as the US, but we have to benchmark it against the US because that's how we determine whether it's export sector or not. So if we are, if our location quotient is higher, Than the U.S. and the U.S. is 1.0. So if it's greater than one, it's export sector. If it's less than one, it's support sector. We only care about export sectors. So step one is identify those export sectors. And we do that through a process called location quotient. No, you do not want to know right now what that calculation is, nor are we going to go through it. Just know you can go to Bureau of Labor Statistics, bls.gov, pull the tables so that you can then calculate it. Okay? Once you've identified which sectors are basic or export sector, then you have to add up all the basic jobs. So in my table, you actually will calculate how many basic jobs are for resources and mining, which is, uh, which is 21, I think, or 11. I don't know. I see. I don't even know what the name of the sectors are. And, and real quick, sectors are based on the NAICS code, North American Industrial Classification System. N-A-I-C-S, which was created in the nineties when Clinton created, President Clinton created the NAFTA program. They created the NAICS. They went from S-A-I-C codes to N-A-I-C-S codes, or S-I-C codes, which was standard industrial classification at that time. So the two-digit NAICS, which are the, the sectors, they are what we're looking at. So we total up our Basic jobs based on those, just those export sectors. And that gives us our total export sector jobs. That's step two. Step three is to determine your economic base multiplier. So now I take my total jobs for the market, not just the sectors, but all the jobs in the market. I add them all up. And at BLS, they actually tell you what the number is. So I take that total jobs in the market, I divide it by the total basic jobs, and I get a multiplier. That multiplier then becomes one of those key indicators that we need to do future. And I'll explain it in a second. The fourth thing that we have to do is get our population employment ratio. You do not need step one through three to get step four, but you cannot determine future population without going through step one through three. So we always cover it first. The population employment ratio is simply going to census quick facts. Write that down. Census quick facts, look it up in Google, store it on your phone, store it on your computer, put it in your bookmarks. This is where you want to go to find demographic data, not bestcities.net. And whoever taught people to go there for demographic data ought to be shot in the forehead. Business Make? insiders.
0: Best yeah, <laughs> whatever.
1: So census quick facts. That's from the horse's mouth, from census, which is where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So get total population for your market. And all you got to do is type your market in and boom, it'll come up. Divide that by the total population or to the t- by the total employment, which was given to us by bls.gov. So census.gov gives us total population. bls.gov gives us total employment. Divide those two numbers, gets us our population employment ratio. Once I've got my EBM and my PER, economic-based multiplier population employment ratio, now I can determine my future economic base, which is part two. Once I got my current, I can determine my future. So now step one is go into the marketplace. So now I've got to go to the economic development department and talk to the director of economic development. I've got to talk to the chamber of commerce. If there's a downtown alliance, talk to the downtown alliance, Google, Yahoo, Bing, whatever you have to do, To find what jobs are coming to the market and what jobs are leaving the market because we need a net of the two. You can't just look at jobs coming. We also need to know what jobs are leaving. We need that net number. can be negative. We don't want it to be negative, obviously, but it can be negative. Once we have identified the jobs coming to the market, we then have to determine, okay, well, are they export sector or are they support sector? So now we've Go back into our model from doing our getting our basic jobs before. And we just say, okay, well, if it's a manufacturing plant that's going to fall under manufacturing, which I don't remember the number, it's like 21, 22, 23, something like that sector. If that sector in your model is basic or export sector, then we can consider those jobs export sector. So we're going to add those as part of our total future employment. So that's step one, identify the total future jobs coming to the market that are export sector. Okay. Step two is now take that number. So let's use Huntsville, it's 4,000. Okay. Let's say our EBM was 4.0 when we did our economic base multiplier calculation where we took total employment and divided it by the total basic jobs, gave us a multiplier of 4.0. So if we take 4,000 jobs, multiply it times 4.0, that tells us, we have 16,000 total jobs coming to the market. It's a multiplier effect. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Now, if my if I lived in Silicon Valley and it was negative 4,000 jobs because they left the market and they were all export sector, then that negative 4,000 times 4.0 then becomes negative 16,000. So it can be a negative number. The mm-hmm. last thing- once we determine our total future employment, so now we know 16,000 is coming to Huntsville. It's actually way more than that. We're just using this as an example. Right. We can then take that population employment ratio that we had calculated. Let's say that population employment ratio was 2.5. That's a pretty standard PER. I've seen it as high as 4.8. That's just monstrous. That, that pe- People are multiplying too quickly in that market. Lafayette, Louisiana, I think was the one I recently looked at it it was like a 4.8. That's just crazy to me. Wow. So let's just say it's 2.5. So I take that 16,000 future jobs, multiply it times 2.5, and now I've got 40,000 future population coming to the market. Now, I can then take that and do a demand supply analysis and determine what my total future demand is gonna be over the next 18 to 24 months. That's how you determine whether a market is... Emerging, whether it's stagnant or whether it is declining, is going through all of that. If you don't go through all of that, it's a guess, hundred percent guess.
0: Yeah that that was way more. Um, <laughs> that, you know, that says, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm a little speechless. Just you know, after hearing all of that information, and I'm just like looking at my notes. Now, you know, going back to the, the if it's an export sector and or a um, supporting sector, there those are it's a certain code under the um No, it's not a code. So for, you go into the Bureau of Labor Statistics and
1: you can uh-huh. pull up the tables. It's called the QCEW Quarterly Census of Employment and Wages. That's the chart you want to pull up. When you pull up those charts, mm-hmm. you want to pull up a, a market by sector. I think it's Item number seven, you click on the link, and then you can select a market. You, first, you do the U.S. because you need to benchmark it against the U.S. and you get what all the U.S. totals are. And it's mm-hmm. about three quarters in, the, in arrears. Second quarter 2020 is our most updated quarter right now. Then you go and pull your local market, whether it's a county or whether it's a metro statistical area. So when you're looking at population, you want to look at county or metropolitan statistical area. You want it to match what you're looking at with BLS. When you look at those numbers, there will be those two-digit sectors. You can drill down and go deeper. You can go three up to six digits, but it's the difference between looking at one page and looking at 150 pages of data. So we just do two-digit sector initially. There's about 20, give or take, maybe 18, maybe 22. Again, don't remember the total. And anything with the location quotient greater than 1.0. And in the table, Bureau of Labor Statistics does it for you. They give you your location quotients. Oh, so you're just looking for one greater than 1.0. If it's equal to or less than 1.0, it's support sector. Hmm. If it's greater than 1.0, it's export sector. It's that simple. Hmm. Okay. You don't have to do any math. In in CI102, we don't tell you all that, and we actually make you do the math <laughs> on how to do location quotient. <laughs> you don't need to know all that. Uh, you just go to bls.gov. You just go to bls.gov, then BLS. throw it in a spreadsheet, and it does all the work for you. Mm. I created the spreadsheet.
0: Nice. Okay. And that comes with the course, right? It does come with the course. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Now, um, So, I mean, we're, like, we're looking at population growth. We're looking at, you know, job, like net jobs leaving, jobs coming. Now, let's, let's say we find a market that, you know, that's, let's choose Huntsville you know, and continue <laughs> on with this example to say, like, wow, you know, this market looks very good. Like, I want, to, I want to invest in this market, I believe, in the future economic growth within Huntsville. Now, what right. would be your next steps then in determining if that market is good? Like, would you look at rent growth and then unemployment rate as well? So, I'm, I'm not so concerned with the unemployment rate.
1: I know a lot of people do look at it. Mm-hmm. That's going to fluctuate depending on the economy. That, that, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. You can look at it and use it as a benchmark. I, I don't think it's that necessary in determining whether you're going to invest in a market or not, but that's just me. That's my my risk. What you do want to do though first, and I'm I'm just going to back up just a second is once you've identified that we definitely have growth in this market, we then use supply and demand or demand and supply, which you just mentioned, to determine how's that market look right now. Because if I'm investing, I want to make sure that there's still rent growth. So. Demand supply. Once we've done the economic base, will tell us where on that market cycle that we belong on the chart. And we don't look at Dr. Mueller's chart, and we don't look at IRR viewpoint or anything else. We can make that determine ourselves, our determination, ourselves, and plot it. So there's four levels of the cycle chart. Your first one starts in recession, and it starts to climb from there. So you always start at the bottom, and that's phase one. Phase one, you start your upgrowth. Picture. An X or a plus sign. Picture a plus sign in the middle of a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper in landscape. So it's sideways, not up and down. Okay. Okay. Take and put, draw a plus right right down the middle vertically, right down the middle horizontally. Your X, Y. Vertically, Yeah, your X, Y axis. Your X, Y axis. I'm just... I guess you. I mean, yeah, yeah. some people haven't taken trigonometry. <laughs>
0: it's okay. We good.
1: We so good. We good. Anyways, plus function.
0: <laughs> function. <laughs> so we're
1: just gonna use plus. I look. I love simple math. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So everything that goes up or down the vertical line or your y-axis is going to be basically your income or your NOI. You can base it on that. Your horizontal line going through the middle of the piece of paper that is your long-term occupancy average so you can use tools unfortunately they're paid tools and if you don't want to pay or can't pay for the tools build relationships with folks like me and other CCIMs or brokers in your market that have these tools CoStar, Reese, Axiometrics, Yardi Matrix, Real Capital Analytics, you know all the paid tools that we use to get our supply side data. It's expensive, it's not cheap in any way shape or form. So I will go into CoStar and I will look at where we are long-term occupancy average. So let's just say Huntsville, and it's not, it's higher than this. Let's say it's 97, 93%. Then as long as we're coming up, remember, we're in phase one, we're starting to come up, so we still have some negative rent growth, but vacancy is starting to go down. But if vacancy is still below 93%, then we're still in phase one. As we reach that long-term occupancy, rents are now starting to increase. So, we're getting some rent growth now. We're still below that average. So, we're getting towards the top of phase one. As we cross that long-term occupancy average, meaning we're now under for a market that 90 or above the 93% 93%. occupancy average. Mm -hmm then we go into phase two, which is expansion. Things start to accelerate fairly quickly at this point. So rents start to grow a little faster. And the reason is because vacancy is ticking down so much that demand has reached a point where people are charging more rent because there's no space available. So then you get to that point, and I I call it point eight. And on my chart, I'll draw a little green circle to identify it where rents now become high enough that we can afford to build new products. So, at that point in phase two, and it's somewhere around the, the one-third mark of phase two, you start to see permits hitting the, the planning commission and construction starts start to happen and we start getting new inventory. Rents continue to grow because we still don't have, you know, it's going to be a year, year and a half before we start getting any deliveries at that point. So we're gonna have long-term growth up to what's called equilibrium. So where demand and supply are equal, you are now at the point at the very top of the Y axis or at the very top of that vertical line. NOI has reached its peak. It's not going any higher than that. Supply and demand are equal. As we start to go down the other side, now we've got, we've got deliveries happening. So naturally when you have deliveries, you're going to have some vacancy. Your vacancy is going to tick up. Your occupancy is going to tick down. Maybe not a lot initially because you should be able to absorb those vacancies in the beginning. You're still slightly over an oversupply, but it depends really on a lot of different factors, whether you're on one side of equilibrium or the other. So if we have crossed over into oversupply, which is phase three or hypersupply, some call it, then we're still seeing some rent growth. So, maybe we're not seeing the four, five, 6% we saw in phase two, but we're still seeing two or 3% rent growth. But our vacancies are ticking up because new supplies come into the market. As more supply continues to flow on the market and the market can no longer sustain those absorptions, now vacancies are gonna start to increase. Rents are gonna start to decline. And once we drop below that 90, 93% long term occupancy average, we step into phase four, which is recession. And that's where things go haywire. Now, from equilibrium to recession happens very quickly. It may take six to 10 years, as we saw in the last cycle, to get to equilibrium. In some markets, they, they aren't even there yet. Huntsville's not there yet. Mobile's not there yet. There's a bunch of markets that aren't even at equilibrium yet. So they're still from 08, you know, here we are now. 13 years later we're still in that expansionary phase from recovery to to equilibrium. Once you cross and you start to go down, it goes very quickly, typically 18 to 36 months, 36 being very long. And I I don't think we have had any recessionary cycles, oversupply and recessionary cycles longer than three years. That's a long cycle to go down. And then you just start to process all over again. And depending on The report you pull in CoStar, if you're using CoStar or whatever, Axiometrics, doesn't matter any of them. Mm -hmm. If you look at your, look at your rent growth, are we growing? Do we still have rent growth? Look at deliveries and absorption. Is absorption staying up with deliveries? In other words, if I'm 80 to 100% absorbing to deliveries, I'm still pretty good. I'm okay there. I get below 80% we're starting to see an increase in vacancy at this point. But we're, we got a little vacancy and you're going to see vacancy tick down a little bit as, as you're delivering, unless you're like Huntsville or Mobile, where we delivered in Mobile, we delivered 536 units in the last 12 months. We absorbed almost 1,100. That's double what we delivered. That is a strong current market. That's current. That's not future. That's current. That tells me the economics in Mobile are still very, very strong. And there's only 16 units in supply, future supply, which means somebody needs to come in and build more units because for whatever reason, and the reason is because of all the jobs that are coming to Mobile, remember, everything starts with jobs, export sector jobs. When jobs are coming or jobs are leaving, we have to do this analysis. So I can now know that Mobile, I'm definitely in phase two expansion because we have rent growth. We are absorbing a lot more than we're delivering our price per unit's going down, and we're well above our occupancy average. So that tells me I'm in phase two. Where on phase two I plot is is subjective. It's based on your experience.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, just real quick, can we clarify uh, what you mean by absorbing? Absorbing more than you're delivering. Absorbing in the last
1: 12 months. It's a 12. It could be any period, but I like to use 12 months. Mm-hmm. So, beginning of year occupancy, meaning all the units in the market that have people in it. We don't care about what's being built. We don't care about vacants. Occupied units. Be sorry. End of the year. End of the year minus beginning of the year. So if I were to do it right now, I go February 28th. What was my occupancy in the market at February 28th? I would then go back to March 1st, 2020 and say, what was my occupancy March 1st, 2020? And I would subtract beginning of the year minus end of the year, I'm sorry, end of the year minus beginning beginning of the year year to get my total absorption. If it's positive then you absorbed units that year, meaning more renters came into the market. So if I'm at at 10,000 end of the year and I was at 9,000 beginning of the year, then I absorbed 1,000, meaning 1,000 people moved to that market. Those are Hmm. new renters into the market. If I deliver 550 units, that means those units have to absorb first Before any more demand happens. So the fact that we absorbed 1100 and delivered 550 is a big indicator what the demand is. Now, if I deliver 550 and I only absorb 200, that's a sign of a slowing market, maybe even declining at that point. That's probably true oversupply. But if I'm within 80% of that number, so if I'm at 400, let's say, if I'm at 400 occupied, but we delivered 550, I'm a little getting concerned, but not yet. I'm still, we're still okay. We're, we're still keeping pace, if you will. When I'm over deliveries, that's amazing. That's a great market right now. That's definitely where I want to be. And I'm darn sure going to do an EBA, economic-based analysis, to make sure it's going to stay that way. Because what this number doesn't tell us is how long it'll last. That's what it doesn't mm. tell us. We need to do the EBA to determine how long it will last. But it does tell us right now, things are looking real good.
0: So, you know, I, I want to make sure because we're running out of time, but like real quick to, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people are, t- well, okay, sorry. There's two things that came to, to my mind. Well, two questions. Well, not, okay, no, they're not even questions. What am I saying? Well, 18 to 36 months for the, res- from equilibrium to recession, now you said it was very fast, but I just want to compare that to the stock market because, I mean, when it comes to the s- Stock market, it can happen like that Second. in seconds. And so, you know, eighteen to thirty-six months relative to the stock market dropping, it's there's still some some time before it it drops uh, in there. So yeah. the, that's one note that I made. And then the other note before we wrap things up is so currently right now, I I know that in in the grapevine, a lot of people are saying like, oh, recession is coming, recession is coming get ready and everyone's kind of getting a little bit scared. You said that we're still, you don't think we're going to be there or or where, where do you think we are in, in the market cycle?
1: Nationally, we're at equilibrium, maybe a little bit over oversupply. Okay. But it's market specific. Don't look at the national numbers. National will just confuse you. Every market's going to react differently. Right now we're being artificially held up in multifamily by governmental controls, the CDC moratoriums, the, rent payments going to, or I shouldn't say rent payments, the the payments going to people that have lost their jobs that are supposed to be paying their rent. Some do, some don't. They should pay the landlords, not the tenants. That's just me. But everything right now is being artificially held up. So your class Cs, your B minuses, your workforce housing, they're going to be most affected when those moratoriums stop And when the government stops putting money into the market, we'll no longer be artificially held up. The market will have to stand on its own at that point. So you can evict, you can do all these different things. Lenders can start foreclosing on properties. A lot of things are going to happen for those C and B minus class properties. They will be heavily affected by it in a lot of markets, not every market, but in a lot of markets, especially in the Southeast. In the B, the solid B to A minus properties, that's where you're usually in in a in a suburb not in a downtown core i think those will be your best performing those tenants are still paying their rent they're professionals they're that's not workforce housing that's more professional employed housing younger professionals i think they'll be fine and cuz they've they've been fine up to this point the numbers that you're seeing from nmhc the national multi housing council where you see the data every 10 days on where we are in rent collections, that really is coming from those B to A minus properties. So it's, it's a misconception, basically. The downtown cores where people are moving out of, that trend I think will continue. I don't know when they'll go back. I mean, think about in the 80s when people moved to the suburbs, how long did it take them to go back downtown? 30 years? How long is it gonna take them to go back downtown this time? I don't know. We'll see how that affects downtown cores, but they will be affected. So your downtown cores and your C's and B minuses will be more affected than your B's and A minuses.
0: That's about as granular as I can get market to market and every market will be different. Now we're reaching our last minute, but if you can just let us know like your top three markets that you're looking into now, and we're just going to go three, we're not going to give you 10. We're going to just go top three.
1: What would they be? Huntsville, Mobile, and Pensacola. All this, three in the Southeast. Okay. Huntsville. All, well, two of them within an hour of my house. <laughs> and, and look, six months ago, I would not have said Mobile. Interesting. Oh, yes. Six months ago, I was screaming. Well, two years ago, I was screaming doom and gloom for Mobile. But I don't have time to go into that story. <laughs> I was wrong. Let's just put it that way. I was wrong. And Mobile is very, very strong right now. Huntsville, by far, affordable still, fastest growing market in the country, Pensacola, fastest growing city in Florida, and only an hour from my house. And then, of course, Mobile, which is where I live. Those are my three top markets. Mm. I don't like Texas. I think Texas is over-delivering in a lot of the markets. It's getting really expensive. I obviously don't like the West Coast, but pretty much any market in the
0: Southeast I'm a fan of. But those Mm. are my three favorite. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Now, if people want to reach you, they go to David Monroe, ccim.com, correct? ccim.com. Yep. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much, David. I appreciate you coming on to the show. And honestly, I th- I'm definitely going to bring you back just because there was so much <laughs> information that we went through. Let me, um, let me
1: apologize
0: to your listeners because they <laughs> all have headaches now. And I apologize for that. That is what I do. I am definitely going to be re-listening to this as I'm editing it as well <laughs> to, to, you know, break down just what we talked about. Cause uh, we, we went through a lot of, a lot of different terminology, a lot of different equations and, you know, I'm, I'm excited to, to dive more into this. Thank you again, David, for, for coming on to the show and thank you everyone for listening and I'll see y'all next time. Thanks for the invite, Taylor. This was fun. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much David. I, this is this I, is great. Look, it,
1: it it's hard to dumb down market analysis. I try to do the best I can to dumb it down, but you're still going to blow people's heads up when you talk about
0: it. <laughs> yeah, Based no. On. Yeah. This is this is the most comprehensive uh, market analysis that that I've seen and and heard about. So, you know, thank you so much and I'm ex- I'm excited to share this message. And as a you know, you're a helicopter mechanic. I was a mechanical engineer, you know, before before all this, so you know it's it's cool to to meet other like minded individuals. So yeah, Roger that. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. And so I will send you. We there's still some guests in front, but I'll definitely be in touch with you when the episode does go okay. live and give yeah. you the video graphic and everything. Cool. Awesome. And if, Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And if there's anything else that you know I can do for you, uh, please let me know. And thank you for sure. your time. Have a great weekend great management of your time. We're like right on time. Mate. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Good yeah. Job. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I try. All right. All right. Talk All right. Soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the multifamily artist podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating, and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.